We are back, baby, for 2022. Sorry, guys, we've been on a hiatus for a little while there. And we're back with the Suicide Squad, so I hope you enjoy that. Let's get on with the show. But before we do that, I just want to quickly say thank you to everyone that has supported the podcast in 2021 and patiently waited for our next episode which we actually recorded quite a while ago uh, a lot of things happening in both our lives these days uh, especially with covid and work but i uh, hope you enjoy scream is just around the corner scream three four and five and we will be looking at halloween kills as well but uh enjoy the show by definition alone there are fewer your films Welcome back, movie fans. This is the podcast, Sequel Suck. I'm your host, Cable Brandon. And today we are talking about a movie that's relatively new in the scheme of things. And it's also one of those funny ones where the producers and the people involved in the film aren't sure if it's a sequel or a reboot or just a reset or whatever the hell they want to call it. But Angus is with me, as usual, to talk about The Suicide Squad. Welcome aboard, Angus. How's it going, mate? Good, good. This is a this is an interesting one, and I'm glad that we're diving into it because there's a couple of things that I think are, are interesting about this as a sequel. And you nailed a couple of it off the top is how they promoted it more than anything. Because and it's interesting because I years ago uh, had a, a defunct uh, podcast all about uh, remakes, and not long after I started doing that, the original just Suicide Squad, not The Suicide Squad, came out. And I remember talking about it on the podcast and saying, forget remaking classics, forget remaking, you know, huge blocks, blockbusters that people love. What studios should be doing is remaking properties that fail miserably because they know immediately what went wrong. They should just go back in. And I used the suicide, I used Suicide Squad in its example. I said, this movie has everything you need to make a great movie. This one didn't work. You shouldn't wait 40 years to redo it. You shouldn't remake Jaws. You should remake this right now. And a couple of years later, like, yeah, yeah, we're making kind of a reboot reset slash sequel. And eventually it started to come to light that it was going to have returning characters. So it was a sequel, but it wasn't really going to acknowledge the other one. So if you didn't watch the first one, it really didn't matter. In fact, it was probably better because the characters were being completely rewritten, even though they were being played by the same actors, which I thought was was really interesting. And that's one of the things that I think is a, a good thing to dive into straight away is the the returning characters. So from Suicide Squad, from David Ayer's Suicide Squad, we've got Harley Quinn uh, back, played by Margot Robbie again. We've got um, uh, Jai Courtney back playing Captain Boomerang. We've got uh, Rick Flagg back, played by, I've forgotten his name. And Amanda um, Waller. And Amanda Waller back, played by, uh, not Vivica A. Fox, by Viola Davis. Uh, so you've got those characters back and they're all the same act- actors playing the same characters. And I don't know if you remember this, but when they first started announcing they were going to do it, one of the big question marks that people had was what was going on with Idris Elba? Because they didn't say who he was playing, but everyone was just like, oh, cool. So you're playing Deadshot. You're replacing Will Smith because Will Smith mm. said he's not doing it. And they kind of let that, the studio let that ruminate for a bit. And then eventually they're like, no, he's playing a, a totally new character. Now, I don't know if you heard this, but the rumors were that, they were a bit unhappy that Will Smith didn't want to come back. Um, they thought they needed him. They wanted him. They thought he 
should come back. They thought, you know, he hadn't done any huge, huge films in a while. And even though it was critically kind of slammed, Suicide Squad did Big Bank and is the first DC WB film to win an Academy Award in this this era of them doing it, you know, with the uh, Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, all that kind of universe that they've they've set up at the moment. This is it won an Academy Award. It was for sound, but it still is an Academy Award winning film. And they're a bit angry, so they they recast him with Idris Elba. But then conversations were had that well, if this is going to be ongoing, maybe we can eventually get Smith back. And if we recast him, it doesn't really work. Whereas if his character is just not in this one, it leaves it open. Did you hear or read anything yet? Because the the vibe yes. I got is that. Yeah, and I did it that, changed. like, you know, I guess we uh, researched. I'd heard that all the way sort of through that um, they wanted Will back. And you know what? Who knows? Will might have cost a bit too much money as well. And, and like you said, I think it doesn't matter if a movie makes a lot of money. Sometimes actors are really, really uh, cautious of coming back to a movie, not necessarily if they had a bad performance in it, but if the movie is sort of critically slammed. Uh, I feel like some actors put themselves on that, pedestal where there's oh, I don't need to do that again and who knows they may have had a he might not have had the greatest experience on that film as well I don't know um well, I know apparently that- he got apparently Margot Robbie gave him a tattoo on the set of that film so he Margot Robbie and uh, maybe Joel Kinnaman that's who plays Rick Flag. I think it yeah. was uh Joel Kinnaman Margot Robbie and uh, Will Smith all got tattoos that said squad but spelt SKW AD okay. for some reason, even that's not how the movie was spelled. So yeah, he has like a haggardly done tattoo that says squad done by Margot Robbie because they talked about how much they they bonded and how how much mm. of a crew they were in the um and later. But you know, that might maybe that's all marketing. Maybe they were just saying how much they loved each other. Yeah, well, but having said that, like you can still probably have a great experience. I'm sure you, you know you've done acting and done some theater stuff and and you can have a great experience with people on the set, but you might not overall, the whole experience may you don't not love be. love the end product, yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I was going to say, that's, that's. I'm glad you said end product because, you know, again, I've done short films and stuff and, and you have this vision when you're being told and this is the screenplay, this is how it's going to look and when it doesn't necessarily finish that way, whether it's rushed or run out of money or some of the acting performances average, whatever it is, or even in the editing suite, a, a movie can come out quite differently to when you see it. And so you can walk away a little bit disenfranchised a bit and a bit disillusioned. So I can kind of see maybe, well, pure speculation, but maybe Will wasn't happy with the end product. And we know there has been, I know we're going to talk about the new movie, but I guess it's probably important that we talk about the first Suicide, suicide Squad movie. Um, look, I'm one of those people that did enjoy it, but I understand why people didn't like it. And I know a lot of people that I know that are really into the comic books and, and the characters really hated it. Um, but it was, yeah, it was obviously really tampered with. David Ayer, um, like I said, he actually similar to, um, so very similar to uh, James Gunn that he wrote and directed Suicide Squad as well. So they've both got that in common that they both wrote and directed. But David, unfortunately, had a lot of pressure on uh, from obviously other people uh, within the studio, within Warner Brothers and DC or DCU people, whatever, that really wanted to cut the movie down and, and change its sort of, I guess, its look and and its feel. And, yeah, so it was changed a lot from what the vision was. So, again, that would be great to know what, you know, what that actually was like and w- would it have been a better movie 
Um, and well, that's yeah, I've where, always yeah, I've always maintained that the the director's cut of Suicide Squad, the first one, would probably be a pretty decent movie because David Ayer is a, a great director, in my opinion. I really love what he does. Uh, I think he didn't have a lot of time to write the script. Like he got hired to write it, and then they severely cut down the development phase after he'd already started. Um, so that was rushed, but then it was taken away in editing. He was told he would edit it and then it was taken away and handed off to a couple of different editors. And even though it's not officially listed, the official listing for film editing is John Gilroy, who's done a lot of stuff. He did Rogue One. He's done a lot of big, um, big films people have heard of, but the official, uh, sorry, the unofficial word is that the final pass of the editing was actually done by the studio that edited together the trailer because the trailer got huge numbers and huge hype. The only problem is that studio had never edited a film. They, they're they a trailer house. That's all they do. And so they were brought in to do a pass on the, the final film. And that's why the start of that film feels like just a, like another trailer after it. Like the film starts like five times. They introduce Harley Quinn and, and Deadshot. And then they reintroduce Harley Quinn and Deadshot. And then they kind of half introduce a couple of characters. And then they skip over a few, you know, like famously... Uh, the Native American character who's really good with ropes, Slipknot, uh, gets zero introduction despite being a member of the Suicide Squad, apparently, uh, (laughs) telephoning the fact that he would definitely die first and he dies before they even leave for the mission. And then the other characters, the ones who obviously are not in as much, uh, don't get as big an intro. I think one of the big, and this is probably the last I've got to say about the first one before we get into the film we're actually talking about, but I think one of the big problems with, the original Suicide Squad is the casting of Will Smith. And I love Will Smith. I think he's one of my favorite actors ever. And I think he's one of the biggest, if not the biggest film stars in the world right now. And I think that's the problem. I think in a movie that is an unknown property for most people uh, in which the whole thesis of the film is, Hey, like he's this crew of bad guys who go on missions and are expendable. You know, they, they get killed, they die. You never know who's going to live because nobody gives a fuck. And then you cast Will Smith in that movie. It changes everything. So the balance is off from the get go. It's this movie. That movie is pretty much a dead shot and Harley Quinn movie with some other characters around to fill out the edges. It's not an ensemble and you know, they're not going to kill Will Smith unless they do it pre-credits in a big twist and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe, you know, like Steven Seagal an executive decision or something. And people are like, I can't believe they killed them off so early. And it was pretty obvious that he was going to live, that he was going to be the hero, that they also couldn't make him that bad of a bad guy because A, it's Will Smith and B, he's the hero of this movie. So a lot of the balance was off and the tone was off from the get-go. And then I think when we got the, the trailer for The Suicide Squad, James Gunn's version, instantly we were feeling a bit better because it's a, a rogues gallery of either character actors or up and coming lesser known stars. And James Gunn is a director who's shown himself to be someone who kind of flips the finger a bit. You know, he's an indie kid who still prides himself as being an indie kid who still wants to make that sort of trauma type independent underground schlock horror stuff. And there's an element of uncertainty into how he'll handle any property. Uh, I think he was probably guided a little closely with gardens of the galaxy to let him go too nuts but dc wooed him over to to go crazy and it's important to remember that when james gunn was wooed from marvel to dc to make suicide squad the suicide squad he'd been fired by disney marvel he wasn't ever coming back he was fired for some old tweets they kicked him off the the gardens guardians franchise and said you're never coming back you're done for 
And I think DC were there with open arms going, you can do whatever you want with this movie. We'll make it R-rated. You go as crazy as you want. And he's like, sick, great, I'll go. And then before the film even finished getting shot, he was back making Guardians 3. And now he's back in the good graces with both companies. But this, this film felt from the outset more like what you should feel like going into a film about the Suicide Squad in that literally any character. If you're reading the comics, any page, any character can get maimed, killed, gone. You don't know. It's 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 a real ride. And he brought in a lot of completely unknown characters from the the old, old, you know, the Bronze Age and Silver Age of comics, long forgotten people like Weasel and Polka Dot Man and uh, the detachable kid all coming in out of the, the woodwork. And who knows, like maybe the detachable kid will wind up being the star of this film. Maybe Polka Dot Man will, you know, make it through every battle unscathed. Maybe they'll kill Harley Quinn in the opening scene. And there was a real sense of uncertainty going into this that made me really excited for the fact that they were coming back to this property, that they were reinvigorating it, I think, and had seemed to pull in the right direction. So I don't know. So how many times have you watched The Sewer Squad, Squad now? Twice. Twice. Me too. And I'll say right off the bat, second time, I enjoyed it way more. Way, way more. First time watching it through, I was a little disappointed. And I don't know if that's my own expectations that were ramped up, but I was I was expecting, based, and not based on my own hopes of what it would be, but from all the information I was given in all the, the trailers and the interviews and the hype, I was expecting a certain level of basically the dirty dozen superheroes that's what they promoted as that was the post that was everything they were saying this is going to be the dirty dozen but with superheroes and you kind of you don't get that you get a, a condensed uh bastardized version so we should probably say before we say any more we should probably state the very obvious of spoilers <laughs> we're going to spoil a lot of stuff yeah okay yeah we probably should there's, say there's a lot of twists if you haven't seen it uh press pause go watch it because we are going to spoil the shit out of it because there's no other way to talk about this movie yeah, oh, 100%. I, I like to think most people when they come to a podcast, whether they follow it or not heavily, I you know, you and me do podcasts for chat flicks as well. And, and I'm very much the same. Like I love to listen to chat flicks, but if I haven't seen the movie or I've got no interest, I'm not watching or I'm not listening to it until yeah. I've seen the movie. So um, yeah. we're going to, we're going to spoil. Um, yeah. So how did you feel about it first go around when you, because did you get to see it in the cinema? No. What did you? No, you didn't. Right. So this is this is one that I I was looking forward to in cinema. Yeah, and and, and for the, stop that. I was gonna say for listeners, um, the Suicide Squad came out the cinemas here finally when we got out of lockdown in Melbourne, and it was probably out for a couple of days before they're like, "You're back in lockdown." Back you go. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, those couple of days there was that opportunity to see it. I couldn't get to the cinemas straight away, so that was like you know, a. Yeah. Um, download so um you know it's something i definitely wanted to see in the cinema have that big screen experience that i had on my list but it got to a point where i was like you know what i feel like i'm if i don't see it it's going to go around and it's going to get spoiled especially if there are yes. some really big twists i don't really want to be spoiled with that sort of stuff so it was kind of like uh just cut my losses and just watch it at home with popcorn and a beer and what have you and uh no really really enjoyed it um but going back to sort of what I said off the, the top, like it is a weird one in that you're right, it doesn't really directly reference the first one, but then there's the, the, the I guess the part with Boomerang and, and Harley sort of acknowledging each other. Yeah. They've been together before. And 
Well, this is the weird thing because I think one of the producers did come out and I don't know how recent it was, but when there was talk about, oh, you know, is it a sequel? He was kind of like, no, it's not a sequel. It's a reboot, you know, almost like we don't want to be, you know, known as the sequel to that other crap movie. Kind of Again, who knows? That, that might not, not, not have been his intent or his tone, but the way I read it was like they were really distant distancing themselves from that first movie hmm. but the thing is <laughs> but then they go and take the best things from the movie like i like flag in the first movie obviously you bring yeah. waller back she's so good and then That's harley quinn amazing. was this huge huge character oh that was a phenomenon and so it's like as if you're not going to bring those characters back i think you'd be doing yourself a big a great disservice by not bringing yes. harley quinn back um, and boomerang and her, boomerang was and, my favorite part of of the first one. And who, there was someone else I just Great. missed on that um in the comeback list. Who did I miss? Flag Harley Waller. Was it a boomerang? I think those are the only four. Oh no, I probably did. Yeah, we probably did say that. Um, so I think the interesting thing is like, okay, don't call it number two, but I, I still think it's confusing. I'm like, I don't know why you just don't just lean into it like. You have, and also Flag and Harley acknowledge each other like this. So there's a camaraderie, there's a history there, history with Boomerang. And Harley Quinn's also, like you said, like you talked about some of the characters being rewritten to be a little bit different. Or, But at the end of the day, Harley Quinn's the one that's had the three movies. And, and Margot Robbie's been on record as saying she's happy to keep doing, she loves doing Harley Quinn and doing other mm-hmm. Harley so, so there is an evolution in that character. So you sort of go, well, how can you disregard the first one? Because that sets her up. And it means, like, okay, she's got a bit of a story here too, but they don't have to worry about too much of the backstory for her because it's set up in those other two movies she's been in. Whereas then we can focus on a little bit of a rat catcher. We can look at uh, King Shark. We can look at um, Bloodsport um, and, and focus. And, and like you say, what the weakness of the first movie was, we can at least with this movie go, we're going to give, give you a bunch of characters. We're going to give them all a bit bit of stuff to do. Um, we're not going to ram one character down your, down your throat all movie. We're going to give you, you know, an ensemble where everyone gets their, their screen time and everyone gets their sort of backstory or, or, you know, flash forward or heroic moment. So, but I guess... Oh, do you want to add something to that? Or Well, I think the smart thing they did with this movie, and I think at some stage in one of the many, many meetings that would have had to happen between you know, them deciding to, to make a sequel and the sequel happening, is they realised the nature of, of this uh, film series that they've put together now is that you don't have to... Um, you don't have to acknowledge the immediately preceding film because what they do at the start of this one is they kind of imply that the Suicide Squad is up and running and has done lots of missions in between the last film. The first film is about Wallace setting up the Suicide Squad and, and wanting to get them doing stuff and getting the government approval to do it. But this time it feels like it's a well-oiled machine. You know, they're regularly doing missions and and uh, Flag seems very comfortable with it. There's almost an impression that Flag has done missions with some of the other teammates that are on the flight as well um everyone knows about it you know when we get the flashback to uh, blood sport being propositioned he says you know i'm not joining your damn suicide squad when we get the the opening with savant you know he knows the deal straight away there's no exposition of what is this what's this team i've never heard of no everyone in bell reeve knows there is a squad of prisoners who get sent out to do stuff and we get the idea it's been happening a lot we also uh, without having to directly acknowledge the fact that Harley Quinn has gone off and done Birds of Prey 
uh, in between the in between Suicide Squad. God, that's confusing. And the Suicide Squad, because she was meant to be out of prison, and then she's there, and they just cover it in the smartest way possible. Boomerang says, "What are you doing back in prison?" And she says, "I got road rage inside a bank." That's all you need to know for Harley Quinn. Like she's the kind of character where that explains perfectly how she'd wind up back in prison because she's too crazy to stick on the straight and narrow or to be subtle with her crime. She's going to drive a car into a bank and try and rob it and get arrested by Batman, Superman, whoever. So all that is really smart. We, we know as an audience, if we've never seen any other DCEU film that these characters are doing other stuff, maybe it's in movies, maybe it's just suggested that it's happened, but we don't actually have to know about it or give a shit about it to be able to watch and enjoy the Suicide Squad. And before we go any further, I'll say I enjoyed this movie a bit the first time. I, enjoyed it a lot more the second time but i will never forgive it for its title because it does one of my most hated things in cinema whereas when you just can't be fucked coming up with a better title for a film like when the fast and the furious part four is just called fast and furious or final destination part four is just called the final destination when you can't or the the prequel to the thing being called the thing just and we talked about a bit this a bit on the halloween film how i could kind of forgive it with that movie but for christ's sake mm. just just give it a different title. Like come, you're smart people. You've written a smart script. It takes a lot of effort to put a movie together. Could you just put an yeah. extra hour into the title? Into well, not just it, it's an dumb. interesting thing because maybe it's our age, but I always feel like I'm frustrated with some titles of movies when they're not clear because then we're having a conversation on this or you're having a conversation with somebody else and you start calling it the title it's supposed to be called, but it kind of conflicts with another movie and then someone thinks you're talking about the other one. And it's we're going to have the same problem with Scream 5 coming up, which is just called Scream. You know, you talk not about... Not up here, Scream. it's not. Not in my brain. In my brain, well, it'll forever And, and that's Scream. right. I think, I think the hardcore fans are still going to reference it as Scream 5. But it, yes. I can imagine if I'm talking to someone younger about movies, oh, I saw Scream at the cinemas. I'm like, oh, which one? And they'll be like, what do you mean, which one? And it's like, it's, it is confusing. There's I don't only know. one Scream. I know. And we've we, like, we talked about the ha- Halloween one, and I think sometimes in that regard, when there's something like that, you just go Halloween 2018, and people can kind of work out what you're talking about. And what but we I think about, like at least the first one is called John Carpenter's Halloween. Like the yeah. full title of that movie is John Carpenter's Halloween. So it's like, all right, that was John Carpenter's Halloween, and this isn't. So I kind of, and I know I'm nitpicking, and I know that most people don't care, but it really like when the title came out and it was just The Suicide Squad, I was like, what? Yeah, what? I th- I think Come they could have. I don't know whether it's almost like they're trying to erase the first one, though. So I get that they're like, no, 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 no. That was that's not it. This is again. This this is is this is the Suicide Squad. I guess this this is is my this is my argument, and and I don't want us to totally get bogged down on this point for too much longer. But again, it it is the weird thing. It's like, well, you're having your cake and eat it too. You want to be the new, better version or, or the reset of that that franchise or that property. But you, you still take Margot Robbie, who's what was the best thing about the first one. Mm-hmm. You take Rick Flagg and you take some characters, but you kind of want to call it the same name. So you add the the. Look, it's just, it's stupidly confusing. And then having said that, look, I think they've definitely made a better movie. No doubt about yes. that. Oh, yeah. yeah but 100%. again, you think about like you touched on the actual DC uh, universe and, you know, the Man of Steel, um, yeah, and Batman versus Superman, all that sort of stuff. And they've all had their issues and the critics. And so it's kind of like, oh, well, we're going to reset or we're going to do something. But it's like, well, I don't know. It is it is confusing because it's kind of like they don't know what they're doing with the other stuff, but they're like, oh, we'll stuff it. We'll do another Suicide Squad movie because we think there's potential there. 
Um, and I know there was supposed to be with the Harley Quinn movie that was supposed to be a little bit different as well, but then they went mm-hmm. down a different path and there was supposed to be, what was the other, uh, well, it was supposed to be a Birds of Prey movie. It was supposed so to be was, different. And then there was a, supposed it was to be- a Birds of Prey movie and then the studio lost faith in it as it was going. And so the Harley Quinn storyline got ramped right up and it be, kind of became, and then the title, it was called Birds of Prey and then it became Birds of Prey and the Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, the fantabulous Emancipation yeah. of One Harley Quinn. And this is the only case I've ever heard of this. When it hit cinemas, no one was seeing it because when you went to the actual cinema, you know, when you see a movie, the title is shortened to fit on the, the marquee. So it was just called Birds of Prey on the marquee and people weren't seeing it. So after it was released, mm. the studios retitled it Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. So when it came up in the shortened version of the marquee, it would come up as Harley Quinn. And people were like, oh, I love her from that movie. And then it all kind of it fell apart and went away mm. anyway. And, and a lot of people didn't see it at the cinema. Yeah, so it's, it's, a just, lot of- it's just a, a really weird universe really because they, they don't know what they're doing they can't make up their mind they can't they, they really it's, it's a mess like, the dceu is oh, a mess it's and an it's really sad what they've done because i think i've been on record and, and I, I don't know if i've said on this podcast before or, or another podcast but i'm definitely not i'm my favorite character comic book character is spider-man but if you ask me which which side am i on i'm a dc person in that i'd rather have Batman and Superman and and obviously some of these other characters. I love the Joker as a villain. Whereas for me, yeah, the Avengers, yeah, they're cool. But, you know, if I had to pick a side, it's it's the Justice League any day of the week. And that's what I grew up with. So well, I'm the same. Yeah, I'm a DC <laughs> fan. But back in the day, I barely, I, I've read maybe, I don't know, like 20 runs of a Marvel series in my life, but I grew up reading DC books and, mm. and have so, stacks so, and stacks and stacks everywhere. And Batman is, is my guy. Mm, so I, yeah, it breaks my heart that DCEU has stumbled so consistently. Well, uh, it just, it, it's amazing to think too. And I know we're not, we're sort of getting a little bit off track, but it's maybe another a conversation for another day, but it's just sad that I feel like similar to the Will Smith thing that we just said that maybe the speculate when, when, the, the studios don't have faith in the in product and then it gets smashed by the critics and and yeah okay make some money but not a lot and then you see the marvel stuff going really well then you sort of think that's you know ben affleck's like oh, i don't really want to come back for another batman movie or i don't want to do this henry cavill's a bit like Batflick. i think batfleck yeah. is great i think he never got his run i wish that we had a scene the ben affleck written and directed batman movie we were promised I think that would have been great. I have great faith in Ben Affleck as a director and as a writer and as a creative person. And I think he, but, what we got to glimpse of his Batman, I think it's a real shame we're never going to see. But it is it full as capacity. of today? He wasn't. What, didn't I hear a rumor not long ago that there was talk that Ben Affleck had changed his mind in recent times and was is, was sort of considering and and there was talks at least conversations about maybe Look, going. Man, I back. think it. I think these days nothing is forever. You know, like. If it, I mean, it's Logan was the end of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. And then, like, six months later, you know, there was rumors that Marvel was going to buy everything out from Fox and that it was all going to become one mega universe. And then the DC, uh, the, the Marvel Disney merger happened, the Fox and everything kind of fell into one big mega studio. And then people were talking to Hugh Jackman. He said, Oh, yeah, if, if, um, if Wolverine was a part of the Avengers, I'd come back for one more movie, you know? So we got, Whenever you get a, a character, an actor playing an iconic character, you know, 
we've got it coming up real soon with Spider-Man. You know, all the Spider-Man who are gone forever because the series is rebooted. Suddenly we're getting Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back in a Spider-Man movie because there's no rules anymore. You know, we'll bring everyone back again and again and again. Suicide Squad was an absolute bomb uh, critically and, and not commercially, but it was panned pretty critically and people were saying, oh, it's no good. Margot Robbie still was like, yeah, I'll come back forever. You know, 20 years, not even 20, 10 years ago, you know, imagine if the first Iron Man bombed uh, critically the way that Suicide Squad did, you weren't seeing Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man 2. That wasn't happening, you know. But these days, people know that uh, these kind of properties are not going anywhere. And you can, these days, you can make two, three crap entries into a franchise, still make money. People be like, that one's crap. It's almost like everything is a horror movie franchise now. You know, like you can make a couple of crap Friday 13th movies and people still show up for the next one. You can now make a couple of crap Fast and the Furious or a couple of crap Marvel movies or a couple of crap DC movies. And it really doesn't matter because if the next movie comes out and it's like from Warner Brothers Studios, the next DCU film, people are like, all right, let's give it a shot. You know, let's see if, see if this one's any better because there's no longer a, a feeling that one equals the other. You know what I mean? Like every film is a totally different entity even if it's a part of a larger universe it's a different director it's usually a different writer if it's marvel yeah you've got the same ep kind of hovering over the top but the tone is going to be different the the, the idea is going to be different they're going to learn from what people didn't like the last time they're going to redo stuff and i think now dc has finally picked up on that idea as well and be like okay cool people didn't dig the tattooed faced purple lamborghini driving joker great well he's gone we've gotten rid of that joker and people aren't really digging what we did with Batman versus Superman or Justice League. All right, cool. Well, we'll jettison all that and we'll we'll get a new Batman and we'll tell everyone it's not connected and we'll just do a Joker movie with a totally different um, setup that's got nothing to do with anything we've done and we can just do whatever we want. And people are like, yeah, we, we didn't like Jared Leto's Joker, but we'll go and fork out millions of dollars to watch the Joaquin Phoenix Joker and that can win Academy Awards. And, you know, like mm. we, we've been taught as an audience to simultaneously trust and love and want to see more of uh, a studio's franchise properties whilst also completely forgetting and ignoring previous entries. It's like they yeah. want to put the badge on it and be like, it, essentially it's McDonald's. It's like, Hey, the last time you ate at a McDonald's that quarter pounder was cold and the, the chips had no salt. That's fine because you're going to come back because the golden arches are branded on the front and you're going to buy a chicken burger next time. And we know you'll be back because it's the branding and that's Marvel. That's DC. That's fast and the furious. That's parts of the frigging Caribbean, you know, which keeps making crap movies and keeps making billions of dollars per film. You know, there's all these entries that are just going to forever come back and they only have to be as good as, you know, their opening weekend to really worry about it. They don't care, which all, which all boils down to the point that, I think this movie is a step in the right direction for the yep. DC universe in a big way. Well, I guess, I guess that's the long-winded part of it. Like, you know, that's where I'm sort of confused because, I, I like I said, it's a, absolutely a great step in the right direction. But then where does that kind of leave it? It's like, again, as an audience, I'm a bit of a, I like to have my universe. And then if you want to reset it again later and it's really clear cut that you're starting again and we, we know about it, we understand it. It's a bit like, the Batman movies, 18, 89, Michael Keaton, and it was kind of, then it went became a bit more kid-friendly and Joel Schumacher, and I know that was 
his arm twisted a little bit and became a bit more campy, but that is still considered that sort of part of the franchise. And then Christopher Mm -hmm. Nolan comes back, oh, this is a new Batman. And so it's very clear cut. These are different Batman franchises. You can enjoy them simultaneously because they're not connected. They're not the same universe. And it's a bit of fun. You want something a bit more serious. You put on Christopher Nolan, Batman. Um, If you want something a bit more, a bit over the top and and dark, you, you put on Tim Burton stuff or, you, you know, a little bit more light and fluffy, you'll put on uh, Joel Schumacher. But that's the thing. It's like you've got this universe that you're kind of telling us you, you've bailed on because it was sort of the fans turned on it or what, whatever, and you've got Ben Affleck not really coming back, doesn't really want to be part of it. Henry Cavill still, oh, we don't know. And then you do the Justice League with well, Zack Snyder cut comes out, that gets good response. But you're doing another Aquaman movie. You did another Wonder Woman Gal Gadot wants to come back again and she's doing great stuff. So the Wonder Woman stuff's still going, but then they're it's making not really. Flash and they're bringing back, they're bringing back the main man. Michael Keaton's coming back to yeah. play Batman in the Flash multiverse movie. So we're getting, getting that happening. Yeah. So and it's, that's it's, with Ezra Miller again. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of this weird mismatch of like, what's real? What's like, now you're going to pull this, like you said, this multiverse thing is a very easy cop out to sort of kind really of describe is. or just say, oh, well, these movies do exist, but they're on a different plane of existence to this one. It's another alternate reality of this Batman or whatever. And it's like, oh, my God, it's just, he, I don't know. I just don't know how I'm going to sp- explain it to my son when he starts to really get into it and go, oh, well, this movie doesn't really connect, even though it's the same actor. It's a different, you know, what I mean? it's just all over the shop. The amount so, of conversations that I'm going to have with my kids if they uh, ever decide to watch the movie is like, okay, before you watch this, I'm going to, you want to watch Batman versus Superman? Okay, but I'm going to sit you down. You need to read The Long Halloween and then you need to read Superman for all seasons and then you need to go away. You need to read the Scott Snyder's run. And you need to get a feel for these characters because what you're about to see is not quite right. And no. it's cool to see them punch each other in a movie, but let's go watch the animated version of The Dark Knight Returns before... You know, we can we can really get into this because you're you're starting the wrong foot. What I do think that's happening with DC that I do find interesting is it's it's the opposite of what Marvel did. So Marvel started with their individual disparate characters doing their own thing and then slowly brought them together to the Avengers, and then the Avengers spiraled off to give us, you know, the second wave of of new characters that got introduced, and then they got brought into Avengers 2, and then they're kind of their whole thing was will we'll come together for an Avengers and then we'll expand with all these new characters and then we'll come together for an Avengers and we'll expand with these new characters and that culminating in, in Endgame. And now we're off in a new sort of totally, not totally separate, but a, a totally new storyline that's not building towards, you know, the Infinity Stones because that's done. And it's like the whole method of Marvel was you you kind of contracting towards something and then you explode out and then you contract. Whereas... DC, because they came in afterwards, were like, well, we've got to just jump straight to having 50 different superheroes in a movie. And, you know, we got Man of Steel, which I don't want to talk about that movie, but we yeah. the sequel to Man of Steel was not Man of Steel 2, followed by a separate Batman movie, followed by, it was Batman versus Superman straight away, we're into it. And then it's Justice League straight away, we're into it. And we've got, you know, we get one Wonder Woman movie, but we're not really trying to build these characters independently. Now that they've found that that doesn't work because nobody has any real emotional connection to the character yep. and you can't watch random CGI things that you don't have any emotional attraction to on screen punching each other for three hours because it just doesn't work. You have to care. They're going the other way and they, they're doing things like Joker, which I know has nothing to do with the extended universe. But now that we're bringing in multiverses, who knows? 
uh, and they're doing The Suicide Squad, which is essentially a war movie. They made a war movie with with supervillains, but it it loosely acknowledges its own predecessor, but nothing else. You know, Suicide Squad has the scenes where Batman is arresting Deadshot or he's chasing down Joker, and you know the the Ben Affleck Batman from the other movies is in Suicide Squad to be like, yep. this is all part of the same thing. Now they don't care. They're like, no, we're just going to go make su- the Suicide Squad and we're going to make Flash multiverse one. But from what I've read, the, the Flash, apart from having the Michael Keaton Batman appear in it, it's not going to be connected to anything else in the current DC, like apart from it's Ezra Miller, but they're not going to try and bring in 20 different other characters from that universe yeah. or have scenes where he has a chat with Superman and it's Henry Cavill. Like they're just going to be like, no, this is a fucking, which is what they did with Wonder Woman. And somehow... Surprise, surprise, Wonder Woman turned out to be one of their most successful properties. And then they did it again with Aquaman. And surprise, surprise, Aquaman turned out to be really popular because you could focus on one friggin' character. And what I hope happens, especially with the Suicide Squad franchise, is I hope like every two years for a little bit, we get a Suicide Squad movie that's like a, a totally different genre. You know, like the first one, I don't know what it was. It was a weird neon punk mess. But the second one is a war movie cool work perfectly the next one i don't know freaking send him the space or some bullshit make it a sci-fi like i don't make it a horror or make it a horror or make it uh i don't know a spy movie or there's different ways that you can take these this world every film that'll give it a totally fresh feel you pick one or two characters that survive a previous movie and you bring them back or you freaking don't who gives a shit because it's not about that and you you go in a new direction every time and you give us a fresh idea of a movie well, and you can buck wild and kill characters. Who cares? Well, I was going to say that you actually came up and gave me a great idea. I could totally see Harley Quinn and, and a couple of other of the, uh, obviously the Suicide Squad do a kind of Mission Impossible type movie. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Because how many times it- do you see Tom Cruise and his, his group in hand-to-hand combat and a bit of this, bit of that, bit of action. It's like, yeah, you can see the Suicide Squad's. Suicide Squad doing that because that's the other thing. I know they're comic book characters. I know they have comic book problems, and I mean they are the villains, you know. At the end of the day, but you know you have these, you know the intent, uh, enchantress who will open up a portal and mm. bring stuff through and all this. And I feel like that's been done to death in both Marvel and D DCU. And I understand that's the comic book nature, but why can't it be a bit more espionage, a bit more like they've got this really cool mission impossible thing that they could do because they've got superpowers that lends a bit more to them having the ability to maybe do different things. But I reckon that's a great idea. But also like the great thing about suicide squad is that if you, you have a, a writer or a, a couple of writers that you get together and like, okay, cool. Come up with an idea. They can come up with a really great plot for a film. That's not a suicide squad film, but a really great plot for a movie and then go, okay, well, if you were going to get characters that had to carry out this task, you know, obviously with this, a Suicide Squad movie, there's got to be an objective. And then you can go back through the 75 odd years of, of comic book history that DC has, maybe more now, I think. And you can look at all the villains who aren't, you know, currently in play that DC let you play from like, well, what skills do they have? Well, okay, we need someone who can get into any space. So what villains have we got who are like Plastic Man or something? Or fuck it, get Plastic Man because the guy's a criminal half the time anyway. And you can get uh, characters who can, I don't know, uh, have a supersonic skill. Like it, you can get characters who have the, the abilities that fit the story 
instead of trying to write a movie around. And I was going to say exactly very similar to something like Ocean's Eleven, where you have everyone has their special ability that they bring to the table. Do Ocean's Eleven, but with supervillains from Suicide Squad. I think that would be brilliant. And, you know, you could do really fun stuff like have an, a scene that's kind of an homage to the first Mission Impossible movie where they're trying to like go into a space and they have to be quiet and they're coming down the rope and they fuck it up and they die horribly. And there's like, yeah. oh, fuck. Like, because you can, because you can do that. You can set up this whole big set piece where you're like, oh, how are they going to get away with this? And then they don't because they're expendable and you watch them die a horrible, horrible death, which no. is half the fun with these characters. And you move on, which that brings me to something that did irk me about this movie. Well, and that is, do you want to say that for your bad and your ugly, or because well, this, this is a larger conversation? Okay, yeah, about go for it. This movie, yeah. and it's that. So the, the promotion and the advertising of the film, I thought, was great. Introduced it all the characters, introduced all the characters. Didn't tell us some of the characters' names. Keep us guessing. Really fun stuff. Very clever marketing. Mm-hmm. James Gunn did a really great job, you know. And the tagline being "Don't get attached" and letting us know there's a lot of characters and a lot of them are going to die. Mm-hmm. I really like the opening of this movie. Like we get yeah. survival oh, you know, as as our inter introduction to it, and then bam, it's just like here's the characters in the plane you go, and I was really excited because I really like Pete Davidson. I think he's he's quite fun. I really like Flula Borg. Uh, I really like um, the the regulars that you see in James Gunn movies, like his brother Sean Gunn, who played Weasel, and uh, Savant, who was played by Michael Rooker, and Nathan Fillion playing TDK. Like all these, it's like man there's so much fun to be had with all these characters and i'm really interested to see the stuff they do with them and then they all just get killed before the credits yeah crazy isn't it now what i i I appreciate that that's like an interesting twist because you're like oh my god they killed all of them except for obviously rick flag and harley quinn because you're not killing them before the credits unless you are feeling really ballsy but i was like oh Oh, really? All of them? Like, not a couple. All of them. And because the whole thing was like, this is the Dirty Dozen, but with superheroes. I don't know how many listeners have seen the Dirty Dozen, but the Dirty Dozen is like a two and a half hour movie. And two hours and 10 minutes of it is Lee Marvin training the Dirty Dozen. And then 20 minutes of it is the actual attack on the Nazi chalet. And Mm. one by one, the ones who are going to bite it, bite it but you get these characters for the, a lot of the movie. And then when the deaths start happening, it's like, oh, there they go. And this is kind of the reverse of that. We're like, all right, here's our dirty dust. Oh no, every single one of them is dead. I wanted some of them to survive. I wanted to see more of, of Flulaborg being a completely, like what the hell is Javelin going to do? I want to see Javelin be pointless or I want to see more yeah. of Blackguard being mouthy and yeah. just not all dying in one Group. Well, he literally got up. He said one one thing, and then his face gets blown off, and you go. Wow. And it's a great death. It's a great death, and I love the use of practical effects. You see, yeah. you know, it's obviously the the face blowing off is CG, but the then when he's in the dirt, that's an actual prosthetic head. Yeah. The same Savant. Savant's head gets blown up, and you have an actual prosthetic head that you're watching, and and a lot of really fun stuff that they did. But I was disappointed that it all happened in one. It's like they they blew their load straight away because they just couldn't help themselves. It's like, how cool it would be when we kill all these guys? It's like, you could have killed them over the, even the period of like 20 minutes, you know, instead of yeah. three. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just, yeah, it was crazy. But I guess, and I feel it, like look, we it missed makes out sense. on that. Yeah. Well, I feel, I feel like we missed out on that because I don't think the cast of characters that we were left with are as interesting. 
Now I'll back that up by saying I really like David Dasmalkian and the more movies that put him in a bigger role, the better, because I think he's a really interesting actor and him as Polka Dot Man is great. I don't think Ratcatcher 2 was given much to do except for be a bit of an emo kid, sulky, like interesting character, not really well used. Mm. I think John Cena was fun and I love John Cena in movies. Put him in more movies, please. He's great. I think he was fun and good as Peacemaker, but I don't think that he is as funny or as uh, energetic or as captivating as Pete Davidson is as Blackguard. Mm. And I don't see why you couldn't have kept Blackguard for another 25 minutes in the movie with them to get a few more quips going. And Idris Elba is a stoic man by nature and is a stoic character in this. And Harley Quinn is a bit crazy, but she's separate from the groups of the, and King Shark barely talks. Like the characters we're left with are quite muted compared to the characters we start with. Yeah. And I wish they had have just given us one or two, like keep Javelin or keep Savant or keep TDK or you know, probably you, a couple of them. Well, this is what I was thinking too. Like, so hit the nail on the head. I was blown away, literally blown away with how much they killed off in one hit. But I, as soon as it started happening, I was kind of like, oh, well, James Gunn's got these people that kind of want to be in the movie, but maybe conflicts and this and that didn't have the time to commit to a whole movie or whatever. So, they're like, oh, we've got Nathan Fillon and, and Mike Walker. They can do three days' work. And, you know, beautiful. We'll put them in the movie. They're just the first kill. We'll just put them in this scene. It did feel a little bit like um, there was that possibility. They're like, well, we've got some people that are interested and, and, you know, are happy to turn up for a couple of days, but they can't do a whole movie. So it's like, oh, well, we'll, we'll take them because they're a name and it'll be a shock value when they die in that first scene. So that's the thing I was thinking about because when you think about it, team one, which did have, yeah, Flag, Harley, Harley sorry, Harley Quinn, Boomerang, Savant, Weasel, TDK, Blackguard, Javelin, Mongal. Um, I think that's the whole team. That's like nine people or something, whereas the other team, team two, was a smaller team. So like you said, which was the main characters for the, the rest of the movie. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it like you just said, but I, I would probably agree with you in that there's still some interesting stuff there, but you're right. I Chucking uh, Blackguard back into the Team 2 or um, Weasel even, or I don't know, just to have that extra. Like there was said, no you know, wild card in in the other team. Like the closest they got is the fact that King Shark, you know, likes to eat people, but he was, he was really quite tame for most of it. He didn't feel yeah. like a threat. He didn't feel like at any point he was going to be a detriment to the team. Um, you know, Peacemaker was the closest you got to a wild card, but he was such like a, I believe in peace and freedom and and I'm going to go and, and you know, live for peace and freedom. And there was no sense that he was the the crazy one. You know, Harley Quinn mm. is, I guess, the wild card, but it, like I said, she's separated from the group for a bit. And then when she's brought back together, she is very mission focused for this movie and for a Harley Quinn movie. Um, I do... I do feel like that James Gunn had an incredible cast of, of character actors and comedic character actors in there. Yep. And he was clearly making a comedy first and then, you know, an action war movie, superhero movie second, which I really appreciated. But I, yeah, like I was sad. I was really sad to see Boomerang go, but I yeah. get it. Like we, we saw him as the comic relief in the first one to keep him for the whole of the second movie would be to repeat the trick essentially. Like, 
Harley Quinn is the wild card, so she can do anything. Her character's evolved. Rick Flagg's character has evolved a lot. You've got other characters stepping in. But, you know, Javelin. Javelin is a character we haven't seen before. Blackguard is a character we haven't seen before. Savant is a character we haven't seen before. These are all, even Mongal. Like, Mongal, the one line that she gets, you're like, oh, you're, like, totally mental. And I can't even remember... It's been so long since I've seen Mongal in a comic. I can't remember if she's an alien or if she's an ancient race of warrior. I can't remember what her deal is, but she's a very like different character from everything they've got. You could have kept her around a bit. You could have done something. And I know it's nitpicking, but I just, it's, it, I felt like we were promised uh, a certain type of movie. And then the best version of that movie was snatched away at the beginning. And what we're left with was still good by, by any stretch of the imagination. It's still a really good movie. But I think we were kind of shown this movie could have been better. Like the, the better version of this movie is in this movie. And they they kill off the characters that can do it before our credits roll. I could, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to accept I'm the only person who's watched The Suicide Squad who feels that way. Because I know a lot of people have had nothing but praise to say about it. It's been successful. It's been... Well, this one's actually been a bit of a flip side. This one has been critically beloved but didn't do as great as the box office as they wanted. Whereas Suicide Squad was critically slammed and made big bank. So, but is it? Look, I think when you talk about a world pandemic, I think it's very hard to mm-hmm. necessarily. Well, they equate. haven't. They haven't really released the streaming numbers yet, um, so I don't know if that's going to change things because Suicide Squad was only box office driven. I don't think they did big bank on their their home video. Um, whereas this one. You know, the majority of people are watching it by doing what I like. I I just forked out. I can't remember how much it was the the twenty six bucks to just yeah. buy it on on Prime um, when it was available for early access. Once they realised that their their cinema run was done, um, and I was happy to do it. I was happy to do it because I've watched it twice. I'll watch it again before it pops up for free on a streaming service. I'm sure it's a fun movie to just throw on and have in the background as well. You know, yeah. I like just having it around. It's a fun movie to watch in sections. I've watched you opening a bunch, like I'll hop into bed and have my laptop and be like, oh, I don't have the energy for anything. I'm like, I want to watch the first 25 minutes of the suicide squad again, you know, and mainly because I like hanging out as characters. What did you, how did you feel about the, the movie as a whole though? Like the premise that they had to go on this mission to stop what turns out to be Starro, which I loved. I was so happy. I know they glimpsed Star, like Giant Starro briefly in one of the trailers. Yeah, I like, that's, same here. that's a fake out. That's a fake out. There's no way that the villain in this is going to be Starro. That's going to be like a flashback to a previous mission that they had. One of them's like, you remember the time we fought the giant starfish? And it'll cut. And that'll be a fun little James Gunn gag. But as the movie progresses, it's like, oh my God, is the friggin' villain of this movie going to be Starro for real? Because I don't think you can do that on camera. And they did it. And I was like, oh my God. You were doing this so well. And I, yeah, like, I can only imagine the brain of someone who didn't read the comics or watch any of the, the cartoons growing up getting to the last third of this movie and coming to understand that the main antagonist is a giant intergalactic starfish. Like imagine never hearing of, hearing of Starro before and that's what happens at the end of this friggin' Margot Robbie movie. That's yeah, mental. It's, it's, it is crazy, but it, it kind of... I th- yeah, definitely for me was better than the first one in in that regard. Oh yes, like, um, I like the Jotunheim. I like I like the idea of this tall building and he's sort of locked away. And and we've got the Finker who becomes I guess part of the Suicide Squad because 
for whatever reason, and you've got this whole. He was great. Of, Capaldi was great in yeah. that role. And I think as a, just I mean, a sleaze bag. And you've got this whole sort of rebel militia type thing, and you've got the government coup and the the family that used to run the country have been killed, and um, you got Silvio. I've forgotten his surname. Silvio takes over, and then he's trying to court um, Harley Quinn, and then. He mentions women and kids, so she shoots him. And that, again, that was another yes. twist where I thought, where's this going to go? Yeah, I didn't, didn't see that so, coming. Love that. Um, she, oh, it's a red flag. And then she has this really good monologue. <laughs> and it was a really um, nice homage to the, the true Harley Quinn. Like it, it's reminding the fans that they haven't forgotten that Harley Quinn is at her core completely nuts and unpredictable. And at any point, just like Joker, we'll just shoot but someone good, and you but, won't know why. But there's a good reason but has a good heart still at the very core. Um, and for someone that's still crazy and, and does some of the wrong things, I think a lot of her morals are still relatively good. It's just the other stuff when it comes to crime is like, Oh, well, you know, what have you, I'll do what I want kind of thing. No one tells me what to do kind of thing. So, but again, that comes back to the whole, again, this through line from her, from the first movie, to a second almost standalone movie and to this movie. There's this evolution. And, again, that's where I sort of find it funny. You can't really disregard the first two because it's kind of set her up to be this character now. And she talks about red flags. And, again, it's a reference back to the Joker and and how she's progressed as a human and, and even just, I guess, her flirtation with Javelin at the start and kind of she's single, ready to mingle kind of thing. So it's like, well, you can't disregard those other movies. Because you, you're showing us this evolution of Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie's not stupid either. I'm sure she's obviously contributing to what's being written on the page think, and how that's delivered. she's and got a big hand in her character now, for sure. The one thing that really surprised me for a comic book film, I think we're used to really good CGI effects and, and practical. I, you brought up the Blackguard face scene, um, but I... I actually really loved a lot of the practical stuff they did. And then who knows, some of the practical mm. stuff that, that they did may actually be CGI. It was that good. But I actually found it, even on the second watching, I was kind of looking for the, like there's always in every superhero movie, it, no matter how good the effects are, there's all one, one or two shots that they do that's really bad. And it kind of takes you out of the movie because I'm like, oh my God, they didn't even finish that effect really well. Or they just either didn't have the right mix of practical or stunt or... Uh, visual effects or whatever, but it just looked crap. But I, I couldn't find any flaws the second time. And I, I, look, immediately I was mm. flicking all over the place the sort of the second time as well, picking up writing notes and stuff like that. But I actually thought it's actually quite flawless. For, for Visually, a, this a big, movie is delicious. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the one thing that, um, again, I know since this other movie that I'm going to reference, you know, there's a bit of time difference from when this has come out and being made, you know, but you look back at something like the Pirates of the Caribbean 2, uh, Dead Man, yes. uh, which was the second one, Dead Man's Chest, I think. Dead Man's Chest. Yes, Dead With Man's Chest. Davy Jones. Yeah. Davy Jones. Okay. And some of the effects in that that are absolutely amazing. You would believe that that guy's head is a legitimate squid, like some of the effects there, but then the effect of the Kraken Johnny Depp mm. in it looks really bad and and or just looks too green screeny. And then I was thinking the same thing, and that was my comparison. When you see the tentacles kind of of Starro come through the Jotunheim building and breaking out, I'm like, that looks like that was there. They filmed that for real. 
on set, there was a giant starfish there because it looks like a living, breathing thing. Yeah. It doesn't look fake. It doesn't. And it, it sounds looks, crazy. It looks, but as, it looks as real as a 15-story intergalactic starfish face monster is ever going to look on screen, I think. It was really yeah. a pleasant surprise, especially compared to... I kind of, I didn't, I, tr- I honestly, I tried to uh, rewatch Suicide Squad uh, in prep for this as well. Yeah. And I got about halfway through and I fell asleep and I didn't go back to finish it. Cause I was like, mm. I really was fighting through it. Yeah. And I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it at all, but I realized this time I'm just a bit bored by it and it suffers badly from the Suicide Squad existing. Cause watching Suicide Squad after the Suicide Squad and knowing there is such a better version of that world out there that you can watch and enjoy Mm. makes it hard to get through but do you remember the villains at the end of that one they're like putties from freaking power rangers weren't they yeah they're like weird black monsters because it was it's a weird, weird film. Heads, yeah it's a weird first one where there's no blood in suicide squad like yep. there's a lot of violence and gunshot and killing but the end where they're killing the hordes of things they're killing like not humans they're killing like mud monsters or some shit i don't yeah. know what they were someone can correct us get onto the socials and be like, they were made of this. And thank you for yeah. doing that research. But in this one, we, and, the, and that CGI in that one did not look good. Whereas in this one, you get CGI, you know, I, I think half of the people who have the mini starfish on their face, I think half of them would have had to be practical effects. They looked too real mm. to be full CGI. But when, you know, obviously when you shoot, you get lots of blood and stuff, but that always helps. But yeah, there was no point where I was looking. I was like, oh, that's just a bunch of like cut and paste starfish yeah. you've slapped on the face of some extras who had some green dots on their faces in in principal photography it was really yeah. almost like shockingly surprising how good they made that look i didn't think you could get it looking cartoony in a good way like you know when they update comic book characters for live action they're like oh we've got to completely rethink the character because if we try and make it look like it does in the, the cartoons or the, the comic book it's going to look terrible yeah. Um, I think the most recent example that most people will know is like Bane from uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. You know, the, the comic book Bane looks nothing like the, the Christopher Nolan Bane because he's like, no, that doesn't fit. We have to rethink the character from the ground up and keep some core principles. Starro looks like Starro. That's what Starro looks like in the comic books. Yeah. <laughs> that is the coloring. That is the, the, the character. That's everything about it. Just in front of real human beings. Yeah. Uh, a brilliant, brilliant. Um, I mean, they pulled off. I don't know. I never. I'm not. Uh, I've sort of moved away from the Academy Awards and all those sort of things because I still think a lot of that stuff is all bullshit and a lot of uh, again, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, I think you know that. I think bullshit is the right word for. Yeah, I think it's all. It's all political. It's who's got the money. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a voting it's, system that's that's rigged. And, yeah, well, I was going to say that's why pretty rigged. Um, so often, but I, I think when you look at visual effects, if this doesn't at least get nominated, if not win, it's, def- it's it beyond has me. To get, it has to get some special effects, some special effect editing, some uh, I would hope costume, but superhero films rarely get costume nods, um, sound editing, sound design, all that stuff like the way that they put together this, this world through stuff that wasn't there on set. You know, when you think about what they had when they were shooting, they had some practical effects, which are really cool. And they had some markers to look at. And then they went away and put together a sound design and a visual effects design that 
most people won't even notice exists because it feels like it was just there. Oh, 100%. They just got out, they got out their phone and they filmed what was actually in front of them. And people be like, oh, that was crazy. Um, some some nutso stuff as well that was fun. And the CGI didn't work as well for me in this, but I didn't care because it was so fun. Is Polka Dot Man's mum. You know, him looking around and seeing her as everything. I think Polka Dot Man's mum as Starro, that didn't quite land the same way. Yeah. And Polka Dot Man's mum as the, the rest of the Suicide Squad through his eyes. It didn't quite hit but I also didn't care as much because I loved the gag. I thought yeah. that was such oh, a great, so good. Yeah. bizarre, absurd gag to put but, in. But then so even fun. that, like you could argue, was like, well, that's not a realistic representation of what it would be. Yeah, okay, maybe it's not the wasn't visually the best look, but it's like what that's how he's seeing them as his exactly. mom. She's everywhere. It's not meant to be real, so I yeah. forgive it. This is just what yeah. he sees. Yeah. Um, what did you think of? Uh, I'm bouncing around a bit, but what did you think of the, yeah. the backstory of Ratcatcher 2, of us getting flashbacks to her and her daddy and, and hanging out? Yeah, you touched, on, you touched on it a little bit before, saying she didn't have a lot to do. I actually found the second time around, I wasn't I wasn't big on her in the first watching, but the second watching, I'm like, I like this girl. I actually like I, her. I, I like the actor. I like the the way that she... Plays it. I'm trying to remember for the top of my head. So name. again, blanking. forgive me. I'm not for not being the complete, uh, you know, comic book nerd. But Ratcatcher, I'm assuming is supposed to be French. No, you're French. I honestly, or... I honestly can't remember what Ratcatcher's origin is. Because I like that. I always get them mixed up with. I think they're called the Rat Man from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because Rat- that's the Rat King. Rat King. I get Rat Catcher and Rat King mixed up in my head. Um, and he he was American, but then there was the Gator Man who was from Louisiana who had like a French Cajun accent. And I, I kind of mix them in my head and go, yeah, that's that's Rat Catcher. He's French, Canadian, Cajun, something mm. like that. In this, I'm pretty sure they just made him uh, French because the actor Daniel Melacor, is that her name? I'm trying to find it because I'm blanking on it. Because I feel like she's just used her natural accent, which is good. It's good sometimes. Yeah, Daniel Mel- Melkor, Melchior, something like that. Yeah, it's good to sometimes have a bit of an accent in there or just something different. It's, mm. not, it's not all American, which is ironic. Seeing you've got Boomerang that's in it for five seconds, but he's got the over-the-top Aussie accent. And then you've got Margot Robbie, who's the Australian, with this sort of over, over-the-top sort of New York type, you know, and Jersey got, set of They accent. have a whole conversation between... Margaret between Harley Quinn and uh, Javelin about accents. Yeah, because Javelin for Flula Borg has this outrageous German accent. Like, great, cool. We're gonna get gonna get a whole range of now. Nah. Um, and then you got Idris Elba pl- doing his real real voice too, which is which is kind of cool too. Because I, I actually like Idris Elba, but he's always pretty much in most stuff you see, he has to do the American accent. And this one, he's like, ah, I can just be myself. And Idris Elba speaking in his natural accent is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Can you imagine? Well, it's definitely more intimidating. Just Elba holding a gun, speaking in that accent in front of you, you would shit your pants. I'm yeah, glad I think they let him do it's, that. It's funny you say that too, because definitely, yeah, absolutely. He sounds more full on, more intimidating with that voice, which is, again, another irony because he was fantastic, fantastic in The Wire and obviously doing the American accent there and very intimidating in that. So, yeah. Maybe he's just a scary dude. He's yeah, such maybe. a nice guy in every interview I've seen him, but he's intimidating to look at. 
Um, and and also speaking of accents, uh, a fun little like voice cameo of Sylvester Stallone being King Shark. That was yes. pretty cool. Yeah, having him and, in there. And then you obviously have it. Accent. And then we have it obviously said in uh, where is it? Corto. Corto del Mortiz. Corto Mortiz. Yeah. Which is obviously South America somewhere or thereabouts. Yeah, so we have lots of uh, the freedom fighters with with great non-American. And I think that's great. I think setting it, you know, in a foreign country as a an infiltration slash, you know, war movie, uh, having totally disconnected characters from the world, it, it highlights the fact, yeah, you can drop these characters in anywhere. You can take the Suicide Squad, put them in a foreign island, put them in a like I said, put them in a spaceship, put them under the ocean. You don't have to keep them in America and have it connect to anything in the next movie. Put them in fictional countries that, you know, like they did with uh, with the Marvel Universe. Like you can create places for the Suicide Squad to blow up and then just let them carry on their merry well, way. It's funny, funny you say that too because, you know, for a movie, this is going to sound the most ridiculous statement probably, but for a movie that you have to suspend disbelief and go, okay, well, these are comic book characters, so there's going to be comic book things and obviously they've got superpowers or whatever. So you have to put that part of your mind to the side and go, okay, well, I've just got to believe in that what they're telling us is true and try and put, you know, put that into that reality or in your mind, you know, have it work there and go, okay, I'm on board with this. I can understand and put the far-fetched stuff to the side. But I think for me, at least it adds a realism that you can go, okay, well, they're going to put them on this island where there's this coup that's just happened, this country that we don't care about too much, but they've got this something that can make us look bad, just go and blow the place up kind of thing. It doesn't matter. Yep. And for me, that feels a bit more realistic to what would probably happen where the Americans or whether it's China or whatever, there's any big problem somewhere else on a small country where they go, oh, well, if we can lose a couple of people or a couple of thousand people die, doesn't matter. It's for the greater good. To me, that's a little bit more believable than having them be in New York City or LA and having this Absolutely. huge uh, vortex open up in the sky and all this damage and all that. And then everyone goes back to normal, like nothing ever happened. And it's like, to me, that's a little bit more unrealistic, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I just feel like yes. we hear about so much war in other countries that it's like, well, I can believe that the Americans government would send a black ops group called Task X to this yep. little island nation to wipe out some political leaders. To me, that makes a lot more sense or is a little right. bit more believable than... More sense. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't the team that you send to, like, do the big action fight in, you know, downtown Chicago. This is the team you send for the dirty little secrets that the American government needs to cover up. And uh, and that is the perfect way to to play these characters out. And I think that in, in every way that you could want it to work as a a story i think it works i think things like like i said i think you know i was a bit bummed at the the killing off of so many characters out of the credits i was a little you know, know we, you know you know you know weasel survives. i do know weasel survives and yeah. i'm happy about that i i wanted i wanted to see maybe someone like tdk survive as well he's never listed as officially dead at the opening yeah, you know, maybe he leaves. Javelin, you know, for a while there was like they're gonna let Javelin leave. He's gonna come, and then no, he he dies. But well, I, I was gonna say, well, just before you jump back in there, because that was the one thing I don't know why, but when Savant was bringing him back to shore, and he's like, no, nah, he's gone. I actually thought to myself, I'm like, is he really dead? But or is it the one thing where people always go for the pulse and can't feel it or they misread, and and the person's still just faintly there, 
And I actually I mean, he's a freaking weasel. Where I don't know how to find a pulse in a weasel. <laughs> well, and, and I was kind of thinking, I feel like he's the one that might just be the surprise kind of, and then all of a sudden they just wait away. And go, oh, there you go. That was the fake out, but I kind of maybe I just maybe I'm good at picking up. Also, the fact that like, he was kind of, that weasel was played by Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother. I feel like he was probably like. Can you can you keep me around in case you know I can sneak into the sequel, bro? What do you think? Can you can you keep me around? Although he also played Calendar Man in this movie, so maybe he'll get to be his actual face because yeah. he's also the onset rocket in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Right. He crouches down real low with uh, gotcha. a tennis ball on his forehead, and he plays the onset <laughs> rocket. Oh, well, so that's that's how much Sean Gunn loves his brother is he he puts him on set and then green screens him out every time. But yeah, he got a brief cameo as Calendar Man in this movie, which was nice. Yeah. Maybe Calendar Man gets a bigger role in in Suicide Squad 3. I don't know. I also like little things like um, Steve Agee, who appears as one of the tech people um, in the in the office. He's the, the heavyset redheaded dude. He, he gets a full name for starters. So his name, his character's name is John Economos. In fact, all of the yeah. people in the, the room get full names. Flo Crawley, Amelia Harcourt, they all get yeah. full names, which normally it's like tech person one, blonde tech person. Yeah. But what I also liked is, is Steve Agee played the onset King Shark. So uh, Sylvester Stallone wasn't oh. on set. Yeah. But Steve Agee's a big guy. He's also a massive comic book nerd. He's a huge, huge comic book nerd. He's like Patton Oswalt. Like he loves them and has loved them since before it was cool. And it's so nice to see him get into a, a movie and not just get to play the nerd, but also like he got to be on set for all those big action sequences. And he got to hang out and do dialogue with Bloodsport and Peacemaker and, and Harley Quinn. And I know for a nerd like that, it would have been, his mind would have been blown. Like even if the final result is you don't know it's him and it's not his voice, yeah. he still got to be on set for all those crazy things and not just in the control room, watching it, you know, happen in the cinemas and at the end result. So that was really nice. And that shows that, I think a lot about James Gunn coming from the the horror indie underground comic book world. The where the place that James Gunn came from as a filmmaker is the place that comics used to be. You know, it was the underground basement stuff that was never considered mainstream or cool or or you know, nerds would hang out and talk about for hours on end. But you know, if anyone's seen uh, Slither or any of his old trauma stuff, you know, you know that James Gunn is a He's a nerd and a B-grade horror kid at heart who's been called up to the big leagues. And I think this Guidance of the Galaxy was the first hint that he could marry those worlds. You know, he could take his sensibility and put it into superhero 20, whatever it was when he did that, 2015, modern day superhero movies. But man, this is like the perfect marriage of what he can do up against the budget and the characters he's now allowed to play with. And that there is gore in this, there is humor in this, there is absurdity in this. I, I wish that the characters or some of the characters had have been badder. And that's a problem I had with the first one as well, is that the suicide squad is they're the worst of the worst. You know, they're sent away to Bellwood prison to rot and die because they are the worst villains ever. And the reason they call it the Task Force X is because we literally don't give a shit if their heads get blown off. You know, we just got to hope they do something right. And they're all kind of not, like the exception of maybe Weasel, where they're like, well, he killed 27 kids. And it's like, oh, he's like, he's real bad. But you still kind of like him because the way the character's shown is cutesy and cartoony. You know, all of the characters, Savant was shown as being nice. Blackguard was funny. And Javelin was fucking hilarious. Like all of these characters still were comedic in a lot of ways, 
and even King Shark. Like, yeah, he eats people sometimes, but it's fun. There's no, and it sounds like a stupid thing to say because it's a comic book movie and they need to make it accessible, but there's nothing horrific about any of the bad guys. No. You know, uh, Peacemaker is sort of the baddest of the bunch, it turns out at the end. But even then, he's not that bad. Like, where's the really, really bad villains? Where's the villains who are like, oh my God, that guy's like the worst ever? Yeah. I always saying they've and all got a bit of heart about it. I, I know that would fuck up the tone of the movie a bit, but I, I would like to see James Gunn with essentially a horror movie character you know, in the Suicide Squad. Someone who is slender, violent, man. and yeah, or you know, friggin' like a, a Jason Voorhees type, just like a brutal murderer who's a hack and slash, gonna kill everything in sight. Machete man. Yeah, and obviously you have to kill that character off, mm. you know, at some stage in the movie and in a horrific way to get the audience to go, yeah. But like I said, there was no real white cup. You know, I didn't feel like any of the characters were particularly scary. Which, you know, when you've got a team of people made up of literally the worst people ever, and the only reason they're doing what they're told is because their head will explode if they if they don't. We kind of lost track for most, like we get told at the start with Savant's head blowing up. Oh yeah, if you if you bail, your head will get blown up. And we get told at the very end, hey, if you don't do what Wallace says, she'll blow your head up. But for most of the movie, we forget that that's the reason they're doing this. And it kind of feels like they're doing it because they want to succeed at the mission. Like they yeah. want to do the right thing. They're kind of good, bad guys. Yeah. And Which is no funny. You bring, bring up a point. Because in the first one, I know, look, obviously the violence is stepped up in this one, but Slipknot didn't have his head completely blow up. No. Nah. From memory like in the first one. Yeah, it's like, like fizzled out. Um the Deadpool that they were running, I, I actually love that little take as well. That, that was great. Oh, I thought that was so good. That little it was funny, and then and then obviously the you know towards the end we have the part where Star does come out, and then they change the mission, and Wall is pretty much ready to flick some switches and blow some heads up, and then the other young uh, tech woman, the black tech woman, coming uh, in the golf club. and Amelia Harcourt is the character's name. Yeah. Jennifer Holland is the actor. Yeah, and uh, she just comes in and clubs and her. whack. And I'm like, oh, that was so good too. Because that, that was, was a huge twist. That was the dilemma. It was like, well, you know, they've got to save the world because, I mean, Wall is obviously on her thing. But at the, at the end of the day, Starro gets out. There's going to be a world of problems for everyone. So they needed to do something. They couldn't turn their back. They had to do something. So thank God that girl whacked Amanda Waller out. But um, And I think that's a great moment because you're like, oh, shit. That's, oh, yeah. That is more surprising than killing off half the cast before the credits or yeah. against, you know, I shouldn't have to keep saying it with spoilers. Like it, it was a bigger surprise to me that Waller got knocked the fuck out than that Peacemaker killed Rick Flagg. Um, that was a big surprise and a, a bit of a sad moment because I was like, his character was okay in the first one, but he's kind of hamstrung by the whole Enchantress thing. And I wanted to see more. He was kind of a bit one. Yeah. In this one, it's like, no, this is the this is a great character. Like this guy who has this sense of duty and is a soldier and is willing to be like, all right, I guess my fucking job is leading these deplorable people. But much, you know, it, he he was much more Lee Marvin in this movie. He's like, all right, this is my team. Then this is my fucking team, and we're going to be a team, and we're going to go into battle together, and we're going to fucking do it. Yeah. Um, I think his character was really well handled, and and when Margot Robbie, uh, when Harley Quinn is like, he was my friend. Like you believe, like yeah, like he could walk that line 
between being a hero and also hanging out with the bad dudes you know when him and yeah. blood sport are hanging out and having shots in the bar you're like well yeah, it, this guy gets it like well, even at the, end the dark of, side i don't know which version you've seen but i've, I've watched the extended cut of the suicide squad a couple of times but even him having that moment with uh dead shot and he's dead shots talking to his daughter doing it helping her do homework and you know the time's up before he has to go back to prison and you know rick flag so you know then that way just give him a bit more time and then he's also talking to the guys like oh, be discreet guys come on it's his daughter let's just you know it's all good just another five minutes or another couple of minutes you know so you're right i mean but again it, again from movie to this movie it's not like a big change but he's had this evolution like you said it feels like he's hated the idea of being with these like these cretins you would say in the first movie and then it's like he's gone okay i get this now and he's had the experience he's done like quite a few missions and now he's like almost proud to go, yeah, yeah, let's do this. This is it, my team, and this is how we run it kind of thing. And it almost like he has this uh, rapport with them that, um, like you said, that they look at him as a friend now, not uh, a boss. It is a movie that we could talk about for a long time. Like there's there's more in it to talk about than you would think of at first viewing. But I think we've covered covered the bulk of it. So let's let's get into the end game here. Mm. The end game? Oh. Oh, um, crossing worlds. All right, so Angus, let's start talking about our good, bad, and the ugly. What's your good? Like we, we have sort of pumped it up a, a bit, but what was your good? The good is, I think, the use of the characters in a completely different setting to what we're used to seeing DC characters in. The, the good thing about this is that they trusted the director and writer to take this property and to make it work in a, in a way we haven't seen. It's not set in Gotham or you know, uh, in uh, Star City. It's not set in anywhere that we know from the DC world. And it's not crossing over with any characters we know from the DC world. This is, this is a war movie. And they wrote, it feels like James Gunn wrote a war movie and then went back and was like, now how do I fit supervillains into it? And the good is, it's the good is, I guess the good in any really successful um, superhero movie in that if you take the super superhero element out of it, it's still a good movie. This movie where it was just a bunch of random either villains or just a bunch of random soldiers, um, it would still be a pretty good movie. You know, you don't have to have DC supervillains in it for it to work. The story is a good story. The story is an interesting story. The characters are interesting characters. And they just happen to also be supervillains for the most part. So that's my good. Uh, what, what about you? What's your good for this? Uh, that it was better than the first. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty fucking good. No, no. Um, yeah, look, I, I look, I touched on it before. I think the special effects are fantastic. I liked the humor in it, but I liked the... Actually, it's funny because it was almost... I, I was thinking the second time I was watching it, uh, you know, it made me feel like... Randy in Scream 2 when he's sitting there with Dewey explaining the rules of a sequel, a horror movie sequel, and, you know, the, the, there's more carnage candy or, you know, more death scenes, much more elaborate. And I felt like with this one, like, we do have a toned-down version in the first movie because they kind of wanted it to still appeal to kids or something, you know. they You know, at the end of the day, they mishandled the first one because they didn't know which, what was it. Was it supposed to be dark and almost R-rated or was it supposed to be still a bit... 
you know, PG-13 or whatever. So, like you said, there's not much blood in the first movie. This one, they go, nah, this is going to kill people left, right and centre. And you've got King Shark ripping, ripping a bloke in half. And That was a cool moment. And so just- I, I, I did like, like you said, look, we lost a lot of potentially great characters in that first scene, but they also died in epic ways. Like you have Boomerang, oh, unfortunately, get like the collateral damage with a few spears and he's struggling. And then the copter just comes through, rolling through just and just chops take, him up. The blades chop him up. And then obviously Blackguard loses his face. Weasel drowns. Savant panics and, and gets his head blown off. And then you've got Javelin that kind of just well, exits out. TDK. Like they all kind of cop in a different way. They do. And yeah. And Mongal very- just goes, I'll take the chopper down. But then of course she sort of <laughs> dies in the explosion. So, like well, you said, I, I feel like. I feel like they went out of their way to at least go, let's not everyone just, just die with a simple bullet. Like, yeah, we can do that a couple of times, but we'll have people, you know, like even the guy that gets decapitated where you see it and then there's the head, the dome just slide off right at the start. Uh, yeah, he's, um, and he's actually credited actually, as dome dome guy or something like sliced, that. Sliced dome soldado is his credit. Yeah, <laughs> so credit. I kind of like that. I, I like that they ran down. And I liked it felt like natural, like a lot of the, you know, the conversation, even though maybe not all jokes will hit or after a few viewings won't be as great. But I, I like, you know, there's a bit of swearing in there. It was realistic. I mean, if I was part of the Suicide Squad, I think keeping it PG-13, I can tell you that much. So yes. Yes. Um, I liked it. Yeah. I, look, but yeah, uh, I think overall the package was definitely a lot better. Um, they fine-tuned the characters they've already used. They gave us new ones. Angus, the uh, bad. Give me the bad. The bad, I could go two ways with it. Uh, and I think, I'd, look, the bad for me, I, I struggle to get past losing all those characters pre-credit. But I also, what I find a bit bad about that is it also felt like I'd seen it before in Deadpool 2 when he puts together his X-Force mm-hmm. and then they jump out of the plane and then they all die horrible deaths. Very surprising, unexpected scene very funny um you know but then everyone dies and it's just him and domino left you're like oh my god like we spent all that time him putting together this this task force and this is gonna be great and they die parachuting out of the plane and that felt a bit like what happened here is that like you get all these characters together and then they all die off before you get a chance to do them the other way i could go with it is i i feel like the flashbacks for rat catcher was a bit of a a dead spot in the film great to get Taika Waititi in there for a cameo. Love him. Always happy to see him on camera. I get that they needed to have, I guess, a heart to the film. There has to be someone to root for. And, you know, we we see from the get-go that Bloodsport isn't the worst kind of guy. You know, he, he says he's a bad guy, but he also is willing to, you know, risk his own life to protect his daughter, even though he says he doesn't want a kid and he was never wanted a kid. And as soon as the kid's threatened, he's like, I'll freaking kill you. And all right, I'll go on your mission so that you don't kill my kid. So we know he's not the baddest of bad guys and him wanting to protect, you know, this, this surrogate daughter in Ratcatcher 2 is in, is it necessary? I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like it is in this movie. I don't feel like you have to have heart in a, a movie called the suicide squad about supervillains who are, you know, being sent to, to risk their lives to do a mission against the giant starfish. And I feel like the flashbacks just kind of, they pumped the brakes a bit on it. We didn't need to see her relationship with her father. You know, she told us she loved her father. We know that Ratcatcher 1 was her dad and he's dead. 
we didn't need the flashbacks to to show it. I think that's that was just a a bit of it's a long movie already. We didn't need it. Yeah. What about you? What's your bad? Um. Yeah. One of the one of the things I sort of thought was bad, and I, again, I don't like to bag movies in general anyway. But I kind of agree with you in that I felt like it was still a little bit uneven with the the characters, like you said, they brought in. I think I liked Ratcatcher. I liked the actress. I think yes, the the flashback was. Mm, Maybe maybe in the wrong spot. Even I, I don't know. Like you said, like when you got the it just the pace cracking along. Sometimes having that slowed down sort of emotional moment is not yeah. It doesn't really work so much. The other thing I was thinking, and I know they were trying to you know separate the movie, and maybe some of these characters died in another mission. But I was sort of unsure why they couldn't. Why couldn't you use Killer Croc? Why couldn't you use? Um, who else did I have? Um, Katana. Does Katana live in the first one? I don't remember. Sorry? Katana. Does she live? Yeah, Katana. Yeah. So Katana doesn't come back. Killer Croc doesn't come back. Obviously, Deadshot doesn't come back. And I guess this is going to be my one of my other points. Um, and you, know, we lose Diablo. Is assumed to be dead. Um, but pretty much, you got a couple other cool characters. And I think Katana is still interesting enough that I hope they bring her back at some point. Same with Killer Croc. I guess where they've gone, oh, we'll, we'll replace Killer Croc with King Shark. That's kind of the much for muchness, maybe, potentially. Um, but Killer Croc still there's something about him that, I don't know, there's gives me... Or, or this, well, actually, no, this is another thing about, you know, that opening scene about losing people. Why don't you bring Killer Croc and, and people who have seen, like, like Boomerang, kill Killer Croc off as well in the first scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then like you say, keep Blackguard for the next movie or, or like you said, at least have him longer in the film. Like, well, yeah, just a bit more of this one. So I thought, um, I thought, I thought they could, they maybe missed an opportunity to have some people that we'd seen before and just kill them off straight away. Um, so that's probably, uh, it's not a big bad, but I guess this is my other point. The confusion, it goes back to sort of the start of the podcast when you talk about Will Smith and, and Idris Elba and the rumour or whether he was coming back or not. I think they made the right call to kind of not recast it because if Will Smith ever changed his mind and want to come back, they've still got yeah. that possibility. But then I think at some point you have to go, well, we've got to change Idris Elba enough that it's not too much of the same character. And to be honest, I still think he was too similar. And, I, you know, he had the same dilemma, like, uh, daughter on the outside, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, she could go to juvie mm-hmm. now. Different. Deadshot had, was sorry. Um, yeah, Deadshot had the good daughter that he couldn't be with, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so they just flipped it on its head, where the daughter's kind of he's got this weird relationship, and he's swearing at her in the phone. Uh, sorry, swearing at her at the the you know the at the screen in the prison. Like, why are you still a smart? Like, oh, you know having a real go at her and showing this really dysfunctional relationship. But overall, it's the same character. So whether they just didn't have the time to rewrite the character enough, I think maybe the issue, because it, it probably does go back to what you're saying, that if the rumours are true, it makes sense that they went down the recasting route. So they go, okay, well, we're just going to have the same character. You're going to be Will Smith in this movie. And they got to was like, no, we want to we want to have, uh, you know, a bed each way just in case he does come back. 
Uh, so then we'll slightly rewrite it where we can and work it out from there. Um, and yeah, that, that would be the only thing I think I loved his character, but I felt like it was not different enough. Mm. Yeah. And, and well, yeah, you, with that, you, you stole my ugly. Cause that was the thing that yeah. irked me a bit that I was saving to talk about there is <sighs> I think it, it, it matters that when we're talking about these characters, we're talking about two lead characters in blockbuster films who are played by uh, African English and African-American actors, but by, by, by black men. I think that matters because it is not as common as it should be that char- the actors like that are playing lead roles in big blockbuster films. Yes, it's happening more often, but it is still not happening as much as, as it needs to be and it should be. And I think if you are going to cast another big, powerful looking black man in a, a lead role, in an action movie that is a sequel to an action movie in which a large, powerful looking black man played a different character. I think you need to make a point to make sure that those characters are significantly different to highlight the fact that you're not just replacing one with the other and being like, there you go. No one will know the difference. And it did the ugly for me is it felt a bit like at times that people like our people might not really think, or people might not realize that, Bloodsport is a different character to Deadshot because Bloodsport and Deadshot, they kind of sound a bit similar and the actors, they're kind of, you know, they, they fit the same brief, but we won't really worry about, we won't put in a huge amount of effort to differentiating those characters because it just felt like a bit lazy to not make them really different and just not to let the audience know that we're not replacing Will Smith with Idris Elba. This is a totally different character. This is a totally different person playing a totally different character. We don't want you to think it's the same character, the same person. But at the end of the day, the main difference that they put between them is one of them was bald and one wasn't. Like, I think it would be easy to forget between movies that uh, that Will Smith didn't have a British accent. You know, if it's been a few years since you've seen the first one. And for a movie that put in so much effort to making the characters really zing and be really great... I feel like they could have had a different motivation for blood sport than the daughter. Like that's, yeah. you really, you really just did exactly what we did in the first one. And it, it, I don't think it would matter as much if you had two Anglo actors who we were talking about, you know, if they brought in a different crazy female and it wasn't Harley Quinn, but it was a different character. I, I don't, or maybe this cause you know, female actors don't get to be big in action movies or boomerang. If you brought in someone to replace boomerang who wasn't boomerang, and gave them essentially the same backstory, but it wasn't boomerang. I don't think it'd be as big of a deal. And I don't think it would it stand out, but it really, I felt like I was getting slapped in the face with a lot as like, this is Deadshot's story. You are, and you, you already have a joke in this movie that you have two characters that do the exact same thing. Like Peacemaker has the exact same yeah. spiel. You know, he's, he's the deadliest man on earth. He can, anything in his hands is a weapon. His father trained, he's like, what are you talking about? That's my bat story. And it's like, yeah, but also your backstory is Deadshot's backstory, and we're not supposed to acknowledge that. Like, yeah. Well, well, even like the I mean, the only thing they've changed is is his relationship with his daughter, pretty much. Then they changed the name, but he's still a gun and sort of weapons type expert. And then, and he still has wrist guns, you know. Yeah, and then (laughs) he also he also has the moment where they. Came, come, he's like, I'm not going to join your suicide squad. He's got no interest. And then the leverage to get him to do it is the daughter. And the same yeah, well, thing. that's the same thing. And it's like, yeah, that was the thing that irked me. It was like, 
you've done all this other great stuff. You've come up with all these other crazy characters. That's why I think this must have been changed really last minute because but also and they that focus- is quite it's quite bad because even if it was up until last minute, it was dead shot played by another actor or it was dead shot still played by Will Smith. You're just doing the exact same introduction to that character as you did in the last movie. So whether it was meant to be a different character in the first pass or not, either way, that's super lazy, <laughs> super duper lazy. And I know that they're kind of not really acknowledging that this is a sequel. It's kind of like a reset with some of the same actors and characters, which makes it a sequel, but, yeah, it, it's it's lazy writing in an otherwise really carefully considered film. Yeah, so my ugly Angus is, look, it's not a big thing. and I, Look, it, it probably is the ultimate in nitpicking, but I actually thought the first time I watched it, I kind of thought it was funny and it was kind of cool in parts. But I was thinking when they started going into the rebel camp, that, again, the payoff is hilarious because we, we think they're the villains and they're supposed to be killed off. Yeah, but the first pass stuff. I had it, I was kind of like, I know they're doing it sort of covert, they're killing a couple of people, but I'm like, the layout and what they've shown us, I'm like, surely that next person is seeing them kill this person or then enough noise has been made that that person is too close to have not heard it and for them to sneak up. And I was kind of like, it seems a little bit worse. And then the second time I watched it, I'm like, it's actually terrible. And I, again, it's like, I know it's comic booky, but it's like, there's no way they can kill the first two guys and there's within a, a meter or two, there's another two guys that just happen to have their back. They haven't got headphones on or, uh, sorry, yeah, headphones or something out of the distraction for them not to hear. And then there's a part where he's sneaking up and he's uh, Johnny Center's on top or Peacemaker's on top of the roof and he comes down, he's supposed to be sneaking up. And then, you know, the flamethrower's coming. I'm like, but that guy over there didn't, you know, like it just the, the ge- geography in that whole scene while it's funny, and the, again, going back to what I was saying, one, a positive thing is the death scenes and the kind of the kills are really cool and a bit more imaginative than the usual stuff. But I just thought to myself, that scene pays off at the end is being funny, like, well, we weren't supposed to kill those people. Oh, shit, we didn't see anyone in this camp. But the actual logistics of it is ridiculously over the top. Like, it's just not happening. I'm sorry. They, yeah. They the did get attacked. The it's scene. like they literally stuck, snuck up on everyone. And these people must have been dumb, dumb, <laughs> deaf, and blind because there's no way, like, no, you know, anyway. So for me, when I watch it the second, I'm like, that's even worse. I'm like, how did they not think some of that just doesn't, like, it just doesn't play, doesn't work? Yeah. Well, like, again, yeah, it, look, they got to know. Because that doesn't happen at any other point in the movie, I think, as well. Like, yeah, the rest and, of the time. I, I don't know. And it look, all, it, it, it sounds very. It sounds very nitpicky, but if you watch it again, and this is the thing with movies these days, they want people to rewatch it. They want them to buy the oh, 4K yes. or the Blu-ray. And we've watched, you know, we've obviously watched it twice. And, you know, it was something I picked up the first time. I thought that doesn't seem right. And then, yeah, watching the second time, I was like, oh, my God. It's like, yeah, maybe the layout of that whole area they were doing is maybe 100 metres and then there's X amount of kills and they never once sort of get noticed. And it's not like there's heaps of walls and corridors or whatever there quite out in the open in a lot of it. And Peacemaker's in a red fucking shirt and he's on the roof <laughs> yes. of one part and he's he's blow darting people, you know, across. And it's like, you know, they're just sitting there cleaning their gun and not paying attention. It's like, come on. And then he, it when he comes... Worked, it would have worked if they had a montage a bit. So it's like lots of yeah. cuts of them. Yes. So you, you've got... Oh, 100%. Like, but they yeah. played it as one, one, one moment. Big, and I think that, yeah. yeah. 
that was a yeah, you're a right. That's choice. that's probably the way they should have done it. Is you do it in a yeah, as Team America would do, you got to do a montage, and yeah. or even just like lots of quick cuts to give the illusion that they've traveled distance in between yes. a shot. And yeah. you, just, you know, you see them popping up from funny places. It would have made it more comedic. It would have made it a bit more slapsticky. Yeah, it would have been less like how the fuck is no well, one noticing? I think it just got set on fire. I think it's trying to play up the whole you know, dick pissing, you know, sort of pissing conversation between the two. But I mean, it doesn't, It that's where I think I talk about the logic of the movie and just the far-fetchedness and all that sort of stuff. That's where I feel like the logic of the movie is really bad. Whereas I feel Mm. like I can get on board with everything else they showed us. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. They also go to great lengths to ground it in a lot of other ways. Having it set, you know, with freedom fighters up against a corrupt government, having the generals kill the president and overthrow and like all all the political elements are quite considered in a real world way. And that helps things like a giant starfish alien feel less absurd. But yeah, Yeah. when when you do things that just defy basic common sense, like set a guy on fire and then three feet away, another guy doesn't notice you're like we it it's the only time in the movie that i felt like they were treating us a bit like idiots and again i know that sounds like a silly thing to say in a comic book movie about supervillains and giant starfish but the rest of the movie goes to great pains to treat the audience with a lot of respect and and to get the audience on side with this absurd over-the-top concept and to give us enough to make us go yeah no we we get it like it's this is a real world situation with an absurd concept and you've you've gotten us there so to do something like that where it's like hey these guys won't notice that human beings four feet apart who by the way are heavily armed in the forest on guard for intruders like that's their whole job they're on guard duty they're not hanging out having lunch in their house they're waiting for people to come and attack them (laughs) well the funny not even turning around and not to labor the point but the the first kill in that whole sequence is king shark sneaking up on the one bloke and then swallowing him whole but he still yet lets out a bit of a scream. It might have been the loudest yeah. thing. But then the next guy's like only like two meters away or something. And it's like, but he like. If again, I'm a freedom fighter in the forest and people are trying to like murder everyone, I'm on edge, man. If I hear the slightest yeah. noise, if I have a twig snap, I'm like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's why I felt like that's where they probably probably let themselves down by maybe thinking about the comedy too much and that they're. The, comp- the, the competition between the two about like look who can kill this everyone the more the more creatively who can get the most kills or whatever and it was like they didn't think about the mechanics of how it would look and how it would play as unrealistic as it did but anyway that's the end of my ugly but before we go into how we're going to rate this film the other little tidbit I found out and which I think is awesome that I probably should have put in a good or the amazing is that Harley Quinn slash Margot Robbie actually did that stunt where she's hung upside down, locked up and got the key with her foot and all that sort of stuff. She did that for real. That was her. There was no stunt woman. And unfortunately, James Gunn, that's his biggest disappointment that when they shot that and she nailed it, her hair came down across her face and so it kind of gives the impression that it's not her because you can't see her face that it would be a stunt woman, but it was just, unfortunately, that was the shot. They got it perfect. And that unfortunately Lucky. just, yeah. So he's, that's funny. He's, I know that was something he had said that he's so, he was spewing that he actually didn't because he wanted to show this is Margot Robbie doing this stunt and nailing it. And we just can't, it just kind of, the hair unfortunately got in the way and they couldn't, you know, it's just, it is what it is. That sucks. That would be um, 
that would be real, real big bummer for her. To yeah. Put in the, the hours that would have been spent getting that right. And then the hours that would have been spent filming it and getting it right and having mm. your best version be like, no one's going to believe this is me. That yeah, makes, exactly. Yeah. And that's unfortunately, that's how it always is. You say a bit of hair and then, oh, that's, you know, that's that's just the stunt, stunt I will do. Yeah, that's crazy. Did you also actually, did you know it's the other little tidbit that um, Harley Quinn no longer has one of her face tattoos? I did notice that. And I like that. That yeah. I think it's the one that says rotten along her jaw. Yeah. 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 And I think that, it's it's another little acknowledgement that the people who are in charge of making these movies listen to the response from the first one. Cause one of the big things straight away when people saw their Joker come out with damage tattooed across his forehead and all sorts of crazy tattoos everywhere. And then Harley Quinn with all sorts of crazy tattoos is like, what the actual fuck are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? That's, that's just a weird distracting choice to make. Yeah. And I like Did- that as her character has evolved, she's presumably, getting tattoos she got with jokers lays it off you know that's that's great um you know and it connects with the costume change of you know instead of uh daddy's little monster and things like that on a t-shirt now she wears a jacket that says live fast die clown and you know she's really hammering in that she's separate from him which from an actor point of view is great because everyone loved the harley quinn character and no one liked the jared leto joker and the harley quinn character is living on so why not go out of your way to be like yeah I I know I'm with you. I'm not one of them anymore. I'm, I'm my own thing. Um, yeah, really, really cool. Really nice little touch, I think. So you're walking into the bakery. It's mm-hmm. locked down. So you're not mm-hmm. walking in the bakery. You're clicking and collecting these Click days. Clicking and collecting, yeah. Um, you know, in all seriousness, what, what, what are you thinking? What do you think? So here's what I think about this one. This is a difficult one to separate from the the first, even though it goes to great pains as a film to to make you forget about or to tell you you don't need to worry about the first one. But the first movie, I had a lot of anticipation and expectation for because like we discussed, I'm a DC fan. I had read Suicide Squad comics. I knew the majority of the characters that were in the first Suicide, Suicide Squad movie quite well. In fact, I think the only one I wasn't really familiar with was El Diablo. All the other Suicide Squad characters really excited and the experience of the first Suicide Squad would be like if you uh, went to a pancake parlor and you got yourself a pancake, a delicious stack of pancakes, and it came out and they've given you one of the savory ones and it's cold. And the sequel is you've sent that back and said, no, do it properly. And they bring it back to you and it's still a savory pancake but now it's it's cooked right and it's warm and it's delicious. And the first bite you take, you're like, I, it's still a freaking savory pancake. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I ordered. This isn't what I asked for. And then you keep eating it because you're hungry and you're desperate for just any kind of pancake at this point that doesn't suck. And by the time you're halfway through, you're like, you know what? This is actually what I wanted. And I didn't know that, but now that I'm eating it, this is hitting the spot in ways I didn't think it would. And you finish it and it's not what you set out to get and it's not what you hoped for. And it didn't even really hit it when you started. But by the end, this is what you wanted. This is what you wanted. This is what you needed. And the person in the kitchen knew what you needed better than you did. And you walk away going, God damn, I'm more satisfied than I would have been if I had have gotten the thing that I thought that I wanted because this is not the Suicide Squad movie that I wanted. This is not what I wanted when I sat down and pressed play. 
And halfway through, this was not what I was enjoying. I was liking it, but I was, I was still too distracted by the fact this is what I wanted. And I finished it and I was like, that was pretty good. Then I watched it again. I was like, mm, that's what's up. I had expectations of a film that I wasn't getting and I couldn't let them go. But now I know what the movie is. That's what's up. And I do want that savory pancake. Give it to me. Nom, 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 I haven't really thought about my bakery type scenario. I was kind of thinking it similar to something you had said not long ago about making an apple pie and all that sort of stuff. I feel like you get a recipe, someone goes, oh, this is an awesome recipe for, let's just say it's cherry pie or, you know, well, let's say cherry, we'll say cherry pie and you've never made it before. You get all the ingredients and you make it and it's kind of okay, but, you know, you didn't get the measurements right or you're just not experienced enough. You didn't leave it out for long enough or whatever. All the ingredients were stale. <laughs> no, no, no. They were all... <laughs> They're all right. It's just maybe you just didn't put them together perfectly, but it was okay. It was okay. Parts of it were enjoyable. The cherries were good, whatever. We can call that the Harley Quinn part of the pie. But then when you go to make it the second time, you've had the experience of the first and you kind of know your mistakes. You read the instructions better or you read a different recipe that's a little bit more detailed. You get you buy maybe better ingredients or fresher ingredients or whatever, and then you whip it up and then you you know, having that experience again, uh, you make it perfect and 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 really enjoy it. And uh, it's 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 still not maybe uh, bakery level or restaurant level pie, but it's pie that would make your family happy anyway. So yeah, I think it's they got the ingredients right. Yeah, it's not a perfect film, but uh, it's definitely a huge step in the right direction for DCU. Hopefully, um, just where they take these characters further, I, I've got no idea. I've got, I got, I got another one. I just thought of the first movie is you order a piece of apple pie, and the 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 baker makes it for you, and then the waiter, between taking it from the kitchen to your table, spits on it, and you're like, "What the hell happened?" And you complain, and the person who made it is like, "I, I didn't do that. That wasn't me. That's not the pie that I made." And the sequel is the friggin' baker makes the pie in front of you and then hands it directly to you and no one gets in the middle and spits on your pie. Because it's not David Ayer's fault that someone spat all over his friggin' pie. Wow. He didn't do That's that. That's not he, he, It's not his fault. And James Gunn was fortunate enough to learn from that and be like, no, no, no everyone get the fuck away from my pie. I'm going to just hand you the pie I make before anyone can fuck it up. No, that's There's lots of, different, I like that. lots of different ways to look at, at this, this sequel. And I think all of them are good. Well, on that note, I think that is The Suicide Squad done. Thanks for joining me, Angus. Mate, thanks. Thanks for, for chatting Suicide, the Suicide Squad and Suicide the. Squad with me. With me. Uh, yeah, check it out, people. If you haven't, it's it's everywhere. You can get it right now. Check it. It's, it's worth your time. Don't be scared by the first one. Check it one time, won't you? By definition alone, there are inferior films. Films, films.